Well, good morning. If you'd like to turn your Bibles with me, I'll be in Matthew chapter 9. Um, question I've been asking uh, kind of over and over this month is, what do you want for Christmas? And we said the more joyful question is, what are you thankful for this quick Christmas? As, uh, some of us could think of things we want. Some of us uh, would have a hard time putting our finger on it. But uh, what could you be thankful for this Christmas? And so as we've been working through this uh, series of gifts, we've looked at three different gifts so far. Or, uh, sorry, two, and we'll look at the third one today. The first gift was the gift of Jesus taking our illnesses and bearing our diseases. I, I can't re-preach uh, that sermon, but it was a ceiling about, sermon about hope and healing. Then the next series, the next gift, was a gift about his reign, and how his reign is good and gives us hope. And this third gift is the gift we'll look at, we'll look at today. So before we open the scriptures, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we are your people. Lord, meet us in it. Stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. Talk over me while I talk to them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. He had been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and now he's back in Capernaum. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. So I don't hear the word paralytic very often anymore, and I didn't know if everybody would know what paralytic means, but there's a clue to what it means there in the verse. If, if you're a paralytic back then, it meant you couldn't walk. At least, at least you couldn't walk. Maybe not fully paralyzed, but at least you needed to be carried wherever you went. And so here is this guy getting carried to Jesus. And uh, Jesus has been healing people. I mean, this is why they bring him to Jesus. Maybe there's Four, as in the other gospel accounts, and each guy has a corner of the bed, and they're carrying this dude to Jesus because Jesus has cleansed lepers. He's made people that couldn't walk able to walk. He's made people that were blind able to see. He's made people who couldn't hear able to hear. I mean, Jesus has been healing and doing amazing things. And what are they hoping for when they bring their buddy who can't walk to Jesus? What are they hoping Jesus will do for him? Yeah, they're hoping he'll be able to walk. It just reminds me like um, how, how shocking this story is. It'd be kind of like if it's Christmas time and you see that your brother gets the brand new, top-of-the-line gaming system he had been hoping for his whole life, at least since it, since it came out. And a home theater system to go with it. And you're like, wow, if he got that, what am I going to get, right? And your sister gets a $20,000 shopping spree <laughs> to Michigan Avenue 
in Chicago. Like, just do it for three hours. You know, it wouldn't take you that long to spend that much money down there. <laughs> and have at it. And you're like, whoa, if she got that, what am I going to get? You know, and your mom gets this gift of a remodeled kitchen that would make Joanna Gaines green with envy. <laughs> you're like, whoa, if she got that, what am I going to get? And your dad gets this awesome hunting trip to Alaska, and you're like, if he got that, what am I going to get? And then it's your turn, and it's your turn to open the present. You open the present, and it's a gift certificate for a lifetime supply of off-brand socks and underwear. I'm just wondering if this is how this feels to you when we read it. Okay, so here are these guys. They're, they bring their buddy to Jesus, and they see the blind men healed. They see deaf men healed. They see people with demons healed. They see, they see all this stuff coming true, and they're like, whoa, if they got that, what's our friend going to get? Okay, so read this with me. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Ready? Your sins are forgiven. And see, it, unless you have eyes of faith, or unless you really believe that sin is your biggest problem, I think that sounds a lot like a lifetime supply of off-brand socks and underwear. When you're hoping to walk. Because what did, what did this guy who couldn't walk, what did he probably think was his biggest problem? He probably thought not being able to walk was his biggest problem. Like a lot of us think our job is our biggest problem. Maybe a lot of us think our parents are our biggest problem. Maybe a lot of us think our kids are our biggest, or our spouse is our biggest problem, right? A lot of us think our health is our biggest problem, or a lot of us think our Lack of wealth is our biggest problem. A lot of us would name all kinds of things that we would say, now that's my biggest problem. Jesus believed that sin was this guy's biggest problem. If you go back to the, all the way back to the garden, the first garden in Genesis 1 through 3, and you go all the way back there and you talk to Adam and Eve, and you say, Adam and Eve, what's your biggest problem? And they'd say, not being able to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is my biggest problem. How am I ever going to be happy if I can't have the thing that I can't have? Like, how am I ever going to be happy without being like God and knowing the difference between good and evil? Like, how am I going to be happy without the forbidden fruit? I have to have that. It's the only thing I need to be happy. And it's the only thing I can't have. And then after they sin and eat of the fruit, you ask Adam, what's your biggest problem? He's like, her. Her. She's my biggest problem. She you ask Eve, what's your biggest problem? The snake. The snake's my biggest problem. It lied to me for the love. It, that's why we're in this mess. What's your biggest problem? Your biggest problem, Jesus believes, is sin. Not them, not it. Sin. And I'd say, I, I just don't think a lot of us can have our heads around this, so I'm going to spend a minute with it, because if we don't believe sin is our biggest problem, the rest of the story won't make sense or mean anything to us. 
It just won't. It'll just be like off-brand socks and underwear. So sin is our biggest problem. Why? Because God hates sin and is mad about it. So in Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, we read, The Lord is avenging and wrathful. Why? That's sin. It's sin. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Sin, like sin is disobeying God and making yourself an enemy of God. Like God gets mad about sin. And that's why sin is your biggest problem because it makes God mad. So if you had a kid, and if your kid that you theoretically had were to drop a plate, not accident, just drop a plate, being a kid, shatters, one of your favorite plates. Maybe it was a wedding gift. Sometimes we get excited when wedding gifts break. You know, in theory. Would you be more mad that they were being a kid and dropped the plate, or more mad that they lied about it and tried to blame somebody else? Okay? Now, why would you be more mad that they lied about it? You'd be more mad because that's a bigger problem. You'd be more mad because that's a character issue that will go with them for their whole life, and if they're not real careful, that will grow into something uncontrollable and awful that will lead them into all manner of pain. See, this is what James says about sin. Nahum reminds us that it makes God angry. I mean, you can see that other places, but James reminds us that sin keeps on growing in our lives. Like, if you start lying, that's a hard habit to stop. One lie naturally leads to another lie. And that lie will keep on growing into another lie. Like, lying just keeps growing and growing. And when it does, it leads to death. Death of all manner of things. All kinds of relationships die. All kinds of dreams die because of sin. Sin is our biggest problem. So when Jesus sees that sin is, this, this, like all of us, this guy had sin, and sin is his biggest problem. So, so the Apostle Paul agrees with this when he says, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Like, this is your biggest problem. Sin is your biggest problem. But that makes forgiveness the best gift. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus looks at this guy and says, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven because sin is his biggest problem. And that means forgiveness is the best gift. Forgiveness is the best gift. So there are some people listening in on this conversation. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, that is not okay. Sins are not that easy to forgive. Right? Like, like uh, there's a process for that. You can't just go around forgiving sins. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Like, that's not okay. That is really, they're skipping steps. And, and I don't think you and I take seriously that there was a plan in place for the forgiveness of sins that there was a process in place for the forgiveness of sins, that there was a system in place for the forgiveness of sins. Some of it came from the Bible. Some of it was man-made.
but some of it came from the Bible itself. And they're going, you can't just skip all the sacrifices and all the stuff that goes with it. So if you're looking at that process, this is the trip a lot of them would make. As I said before, Jesus was on over here in the uh, Sea of Galilee, and they went back to the other side, chapter 9, verse 1, back to Capernaum. This is a trip Jesus will make later on to Jerusalem. It's a trip a lot of them would make around the time of Passover. And a big part of that was for the forgiveness of sins. And so they'd make this big, long trip from Capernaum or wherever else they lived in Israel to Jerusalem to go to the temple. And so this is the city of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. This is the Pool of Siloam, where you remember that miracle that happened there, if you know your New Testament. This is where Jesus was tried by Pilate in the governor's headquarters. This is the Temple Mount itself. The Temple Mount uh, consisted of one-sixth of the city. And look at that wasn't only about the forgiveness of sins, but a lot of it was the forgiveness of sins. And it's like, they're like, you can't skip steps. There is a whole, there's a whole big process to the forgiveness of sins. There's, there's architecture dedicated to the forgiveness of sins. There's a system for that. And so if you zoom in on the Temple Mount there, this is what it would have looked like with the Temple Complex right here. This is the Temple Complex. And in the Temple Complex is the altar of burnt sacrifices. So you bring your lamb from Capernaum or wherever you were, and you go all the way up to Jerusalem. And even though it's south, you go up because Jerusalem is up high. That's how you thought of it. And you brought your lamb, and then the priest took it, and the priest took it in and sacrificed it. And that was part of the forgiveness of sins. Also, inside the temple itself, so inside this building, is the holy place where the priests would pray for the sins of the people. And inside that is the holy of holies, the most holy place, where the high priest would go once a year on the day of atonement and pray for the sins of the people. So look, here's what I'm saying. There was a process for the forgiveness of sins that Jesus is just skipping. Hey, do you have a process for the forgiveness of sins? Like, well, the first step is denial. Like, I got to start with, like, pretending I didn't do it or blaming someone else. And then when I can't, like, deny this anymore and I can't hide from it anymore... Then I got to beat myself up for it for a while and like punish myself and berate myself and say, I can't believe you didn't, you know, I can't believe you did that. And, you know, like maybe cut myself, like do this, all this kinds of crazy stuff where I punish myself for my sins. Then there's the self medicating stage where we try to drink ourselves past it or we try to hide from it in social media or we try to entertain ourselves out of it so we don't have to think about it. We, we self-medicate for a while. Then we isolate for a while. Maybe the whole time we isolate ourselves so we don't have to face other people because we feel guilty and shamed. And then we go through this long process where we have to try to convince ourselves that we can forgive ourselves because our standards are so high and we're so righteous and we can't believe. And What if you didn't have to do any of that? What, could you, what if you could just go to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? What if you could skip that whole process? So, 
Getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city, and behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Which, for which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So this, I think, is the point of the passage, that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. That Jesus can skip all the steps and just forgive sins. No beating yourself up necessary. No self-medicating necessary. No hiding and blaming and justifying necessary. Jesus can just forgive your sins. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he, then he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men, namely Jesus, who had the authority to forgive sins. Now, why did Jesus have the authority to forgive sins? Because of what he was going to do in the shadow of the temple itself. And so if you're looking at Jerusalem, this is where the temple is, and this is where Golgotha is. Golgotha means the place of the skull. It is where Jesus was crucified. And so you can see, I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's a little dip in the ground here. So there's part of the city you won't be able to see because of the topography. And so if you look outside the city from this view, you see the giant man-made spectacular temple with all the processes for the forgiveness of sins. And then you see down below it, the ugly little hill of unquarried stone where we think Golgotha was where Jesus was crucified. You see the massive man-made structure with all its complexity and bloodletting and work. And then you see Jesus in the simplicity just dying for our sins and taking our place making everything that the temple had always longed for and hoped for come true. Fulfilling it. Jesus has authority to forgive sins because he died for sins. So, what should we do? Here's what we should do. First one is... And it, again, this is going to be so simple, you're like, like, that's not even helpful. But I think it's more helpful than you might want to admit, because sometimes we, we just avoid the simple things. And the first one is, believe that he can forgive sins. Sometimes, sometimes we think, well, there's this really old sin I have that's haunted me like a demon my whole life. And I don't think he can forgive that sin. He can forgive old sins. He can. He can forgive old sins that have haunted you like a demon. He can forgive new sins that you haven't even started to punish yourself for yet. You're like, wait, wait, wait. I haven't felt guilty enough for that long enough yet. I haven't beat myself up for that. I haven't replayed that in my head enough times yet. 
Stop it. He can forgive new sins. He can forgive old sins. He can forgive heinous sins. Sins that you're like, well, no one can forgive that. Like, no one, no one should forgive that. that that's too, ta- too bad, too awful. He can forgive heinous sins. He can forgive habitual sins. Sins that you've committed again and again and again and again and again. He can forgive heinous sins. He can forgive habitual sins. He can forgive your sin. You can Because he died for your sin. He took your place. His grace is bigger and better and stronger than all of our sin. All of your sin. All of my sin. First, believe he can. He can. You don't have any sin that he can't forgive. Number two, confess your sin. So confess your sins to him. Now, you're like, there's a reason we don't confess sins. There's a reason that we don't take the time to list our sins and confess our sins and come clean. There's a reason. And that's because we have to humble ourselves. And it's really uncomfortable. And it's a painful process to confess our sins to him. But forgiveness of sins, like if you're like, I don't want to. Think of confession of sins like having your stomach pumped and the poison coming out of your system. Is having your stomach pumped of poison a pleasant process? Absolutely not. It's awful, but you'll feel better when it's over. Is it fun when you have a sliver and it's getting infected and your mom gets out the tweezers and the needle and goes after that sliver. And she smiles the whole time she's doing it. (laughs) It's not fun, but it feels better when it's out. Confessing sins is like having having your stomach pumped of its poison. It's like having a sliver pulled out. It's It's like putting down a heavy burden that you've been carrying for a long time that you've been trying to hold in or hold on to, and you've been carrying it and carrying it and carrying it and carrying it. How long can you do that? How long should you do that? Why, why are you doing that? Confess your sin. It's like taking off a mask where you've been pretending you're one thing that you're not, and you've been pretending and pretending and pretending and pretending and pretending. And how long can you pretend? Why don't you just confess your sins and come clean and be real? You'll feel such relief and you'll be forgiven. So number one, believe he can. Number two, confess your sin. And number three, number three, bring others. Because what's more important for them, what's more life-giving for them than the, than the forgiveness of sins? What do they need more than the forgiveness of sins? How could you help them more than helping them learn that their sins can be forgiven? Forgiveness of sins is the best gift. Forgiveness of sins is the best gift. So, here's here's what we've said. We said Jesus has authority to forgive sins. He can forgive sins. 
So we should confess our sins and bring others to him. I just want to leave you. I'm, I'm basically done. I just want to leave you with a verse. 1 John chapter 9, verse 1 says this. Why don't you read this with me? Read it with me phrase by phrase. Ready? If we confess our sin, okay? If we confess our sins. You're going to read it with me phrase by phrase. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Ready? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's it. He has authority. He can and he will. So go to him for the forgiveness of sins and bring others. This is the best gift. It is the gift of forgiveness. So when you think of Jesus and you celebrate Christmas, thank him for the forgiveness of sins. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you have the authority to forgive sins because you came and you died and you rose. Lord, we confess that we are sinners. Save us from our sins. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.